Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The race is on, and Haas returnee Kevin Magnussen celebrated his return to the F1 cockpit by topping the second day of testing in Bahrain. But with just one day of running left, are we any closer to knowing the competitive order? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer that question and many more are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Magnussen's fastest time was a 1 minute 33.207 seconds set on the C4 Pirellis, which was the tyre used by all of the top four today. Carlos Sainz was second for Ferrari, 0.325 seconds slower, with Max Verstappen half a second further back for Red Bull and Aston Martin driver Lance Stroll just a few hundredths behind. And in fifth, we had Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes, the only driver to set his best time on the C5 compound, and he was just 0.130 seconds slower than Verstappen. So, Scott, you've been paying close attention to Kevin Magnussen today. So, how did he come to set the pace? Yeah, I, I think it's um, I think it's just a sign of the the driver that he's grown into in his uh, time away from Formula One, and also just an indication of just how good the Haas VF22 is. Of clearly, the amount of work that they did last year has has absolutely paid dividends. So, I think they're going to have a really fruitful season together. Stop! Stop! It's getting silly. That's just silly. <laughs> We did th- we did this yesterday as well. Scott makes a ridiculous prediction based on whoever's fastest. Just, just, no matter how just let's, let's ask I will, Scott the I, question again. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this until the day that these comments don't trigger at least one person messaging me because they think I'm being sincere. <laughs> if 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 the world if the world of Twitter stops falling for it, I'll stop doing it. That's the deal. Okay, well, perhaps you could give us a little more detail of the slightly strange circumstances, actually, in which Magnussen was quickest. Yeah, I'll stop being facetious. Um, yeah, he he said that uh, obviously it's not a real P1. They're not getting carried away. It, it, it means nothing. Um, it it came about I think forty odd minutes after everyone else had stopped running. Um, so the track conditions would would probably have been at their very best. Uh, we know that he put on, I think it was the second softest compound of tyre. I think he was on the C4. Um, we can take it as read from the lap time that it would have been low fuel. And others were, were on different programmes. So it was something that it was something that just, just happened. I don't, I don't know if they went out purposely, you know, to have that little bit of glory and just nick first place or, or, or anything like that. I'm sure it didn't, uh, I'm sure it didn't hurt. Might have been a little morale boost as well. Just nice to see them jump to the top of the times, but it was probably just program work, and it was just, just, just how it happened. The reason they were on track when when they were comp- he was completely on his own 
was because of what we've covered in other podcasts this week. Uh, Haas have had a problem or had a problem with a cargo plane that meant that their stuff arrived in Bahrain late, just before midnight on Tuesday into Wednesday. Um, and after a bit of back and forth, they ended up with permission to run a bit later tonight, start a bit early tomorrow and run and finish a bit later tomorrow as well. So this is all part of them making up the four hours that they missed because they couldn't get the car out in time on Thursday through no fault of their own. So that's the reason he was on track when he was. He made the most of it. I'm sure it was just part of their normal program. It's just ended up with the quirky situation of Magnussen and Haas uh, being top of the times, which is just, <laughs> it's just, it's just quite funny for a couple of reasons. One, if you'd have said a few uh, a few weeks ago that Haas would be topping one of the days of preseason testing, even in the context of preseason testing, throwing up different programs, no one would have believed you. But if you said it was Kevin Magnussen being quickest, you'd have just been, we'd have laughed you off the podcast, Ed. <laughs> instead we would be laughing you off the podcast i think scott but yeah shows how quickly things can change in formula one but mark let's delve a little more deeply into the lap times for day five of testing the picture is still not especially clear but we are gradually building some kind of a picture so what have you learned from your number crunching in terms of the front runners you're right it, 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 it's all over the place much more so than um, it, it, you would expect with basically one day of testing left before the season begins, and it's the, at, at the root of that is um, the, the 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 porpoising problems that everybody is trying to get their heads around. Now, obviously, this is a much more. I'm sure we we talked about it um, before, but it's a, it's a much more serious problem here than it had been in Barcelona, and the by the, the the nature of the track and the, the 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 way that the teams are trying to get their heads around it um has meant a very diverse set of run programs and so we can't you, normally by this stage of the testing the the off season testing we're converging in terms of what the teams are trying to do we you you, you can normally identify quite easily what's uh a race simulation, what's a, a first stint simulation, what's a second stint simulation, what's a qualifying simulation. All that you don't really know is what the baseline fuel weight is of, of the quality simulations. And you, you've got a sort of educated guess of that. So we're normally at this stage, we've got a reasonable picture, um, but we we haven't. And um, so as the teams are all on very very different programs we we see people doing like a a 10 a 10 lap stint on say the C3 tire and it looks quite good but you think well you know to an Alpha Tauri and it's it's gone faster than a Ferrari uh so is that um is that a, a you know a, a third stint race um, simulation compared to the Ferrari's first or second stint and how does that relate to the Aston Martins and how does that relate to the Red Bulls we, we're just not it, it's not at all obvious it's spread and scattered so far and wide that the, the run programs um, but what we there was a interesting little comparison this morning between the Ferrari of um, Charles Leclerc and the Mercedes of George Russell. And at about the same time, they both set out on what looked to be, in hindsight, 
sort of shortened race simulation. That there's not time to do a full race simulation. There's far too much other stuff to find out and try and get your head on top to get your head around. But it looks as though they did a sort of um, a truncated version, and they went on that they each did three three stints, and they started on the medium. They did the second stint on the medium. And the final stint on the hards, which is pretty much a standard um, allocation, it's a standard sort of way that you would do it yeah, on a, on a race weekend if you're a, a competitive car. And in that, the Ferrari looked mm, not light years quicker, but but quicker, definitely quicker. Um, and then in the afternoon. We saw the um, uh, Carlos signs do the fastest time, apart from obviously the the megastar Kevin Magnussen. But uh, um, uh, and we also saw Lewis at about the same time on um, do a, a similar sort of ostensibly a quality simulation run and was about six tenths off. Now Carlos signs was um, very vocal about him not believing that and he was quite specific about what he, what he based that on and it was about what they can see on the GPS and what Mercedes is doing with their um their power deployment and when you look at the data and you look at a comparison and if you look on the website you'll you'll see it that that, that is backed up and his his belief does seem to be very well founded um whether it is enough to account for the difference i'm not sure if i if i had to stake um my house on it i would say on this day at this little snapshot in time the ferrari was genuinely the fastest car and uh, either the mercedes or the red bull was very very close behind it or both um but if you had to say what will it be like one week from now when everybody's had a um, more time to think about it and more time to come up with solutions. I am still not confident that that's the picture. Yeah, this is the problem because normally, as you say, we have all these sets of data to almost triangulate. You get a feel for the spread of lap times and the, the long ones. Even people in teams are feeling it's more sketchy than normal understanding what the order is but yeah we are starting to see hints of that interestingly red bull head of race engineering scott guillaume rocolin he said they were reasonably competitive without even trying and the red bull did look very under control on track didn't it admittedly a lot of the time it was concentrating on high fuel load running but this sort of smooth driving style again we're seeing both drivers trying to adopt for stappen in particular yeah it, it does seem to be that um a, a little bit like pre-season last year where Red Bull are just able to work through everything that they want to work through. They don't seem to have any character flaws in in, in the car. Uh, I remember last year they talked about having sort of a really good base to work from, and then you know no major problems to no big kinks to iron out or anything like that. They were able to get down to to set up work and just work work on improving the car rather than like correcting balance issues. And and that is exactly what we're hearing again. This year and and yeah, th- those comments were, were were quite telling. They talked about being able to take more risks with some setup changes today, and how 
they learned loads about sort of what the car did, how it reacted to certain changes. It's for a penultimate day of testing press release. It was it was borderline quite punchy, wasn't it? You know, basically saying because we did all of our race running yesterday, we were able to play around and experiment more today. We did some pretty aggressive stuff. We're happy we did it, and we were quick without even trying. So bring it on. That's that's how I interpreted it anyway. Yeah, it's about the most positive and upbeat thing anyone has said because it's a little bit of a game of deny your favourites in Formula 1 pre-season testing quite often. But also Sergio Perez earlier today, he said this was in the break between sessions that they'd done no performance running still. Yeah, he was suggesting tomorrow would be the time for that. So interesting to see how things get on tomorrow. And Andrew Shovlin, I think, said that tomorrow George Russell will be doing the low fuel or the relatively low fuel, lower fuel running for Mercedes with Hamilton doing the higher fuel load work. But Mark, interestingly, the porpoising problems, the Mercedes did look better today. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because everybody's just trying to work out how aggressive they can be with those ride heights to maximise the downforce you've got without getting into too serious porpoising problems. That seems to have been one of the themes of this test, just trying to see exactly where you can run it. Because curing the porpoising problem is easy. You can just jack up the ride height, but you've got to jack it up as little as possible combined with floor tweaks and the like to get it in a state where the car and the driver can kind of stand up to it and there's no big dynamic problems or lap time loss or things breaking. Yeah, that's exactly the challenge. And of course, you've got to work out what that threshold is because if that threshold of ride height, one side of it, it's fine. The other side of it, it's horrible. And where that threshold is depends on, on your fuel load and you can't change the ride height in between qualifying and race. So you've got to... You've got to work out where you're gonna where you're gonna pitch it, and there is scope in that scenario for a car that's not quite on the front running pace, but close enough that it might be worth a gamble and setting it up for qualifying and hoping that the floor and the driver can last fifty seven laps on on the Sunday, and it's quite that's quite intriguing. Um, and it's also, if you think about what the strategic impl- implications are of this, in combination with the cars which are relatively easy to um, overtake one another, especially on this track, this track's always been a, a pretty good track for overtaking. But um, I, I think I think we've seen enough to know that the, that the actual. I mean, we saw a thing with uh, Sainz and Verstappen today, which um, the, you can clearly follow very, very closely indeed, um, and the car still performs. And uh, Alex Albon was talking about it um, earlier in the in the week and saying he's had to recalibrate just how close he can get. Um, so if it's easy to overtake and if you're – um, if you're the car in front, um, but you're trying to uh, look after the tires and you try to not um, get into the the, the porpoising zone, um, the, then you're easy meat to be overtaken, aren't you? Um, so I, I, it, it may it may change what what the game is. It, it may it may no longer be about undercut and overcut and you know how how you how you run the race is. This is this is a new this is a 
another new variable that, that hasn't really been that widely considered. So I think because of all the uncertainties, um, I don't think it's a given that just we look at the performance order and say that's the result. I, I think there's so much, there are so many ways you can go about trying to get a result. If this, how it, how it appears at the moment, if if, if that if that holds into into the Grand Prix weekend, especially this this idea of let's do a qualifying ride height <laughs> and try and live with it in a race, I I think there's. Um, there is real scope here for some very unusual um, races and unusual results. It's going to cause all sorts of problems in the drivers' heads, isn't it? Not, not physically, although it may lead to that, because drivers will always go for the quickest possible approach in qualifying. They'll be thinking, well, you can go that bit quicker, but you're going to be shaken to pieces on the Sunday, but you might be in a better position, so well, it could create some interesting I, you problems. Would, you know, I'd take a migraine if... if if it, if it came with a Grand Prix, when I'd take a migraine on the Monday, wouldn't wouldn't you? Yeah, why not? Yeah, that seems absolutely fine. That would just be from the celebrating, though, wouldn't it? Surely from the well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get migraines anyway, so you know. Yeah. And Scott, one other thing we've noticed is it seems like the cars, relatively speaking, are a little bit slower at Bahrain compared to last year's pace than they appeared to be at Barcelona. And there are aspects about Bahrain, aren't there, that show up the weaknesses of these cars, aren't there? Yeah, um, turn 10 in particular is, I spoke to a few drivers about this, uh, just a, a really good manifestation or of, or maybe should be bad manifestation of where these cars struggle the most, where, where they're at their weakest. Um, we said in Barcelona or after Barcelona that the way these cars generate lap time is just a little bit different. They're, they there's less drag so they're faster down the straights they produce fantastic um aerodynamic performance uh through the ground effect um uh the the ground effect emphasis which makes them extremely extremely quick through high speed corners as well but they are worse through the slow stuff they're they're stiffer they're heavier the tires, are, the wheels are, are, are bigger and heavier. They just don't seem to feel quite as responsive and they, they don't ride the curbs quite as well. They're, they're, a bit more, they're a bit more prone to a bit more locking under the brakes as well. So the, the load that you get under braking is reduced because there's less, you know, obviously aero load at that point. Valtteri Bottas was saying earlier that when you go when you're breaking into the slow speed stuff as well the rear ride height comes up slightly and it's just not it's just not connected there, there there's you just don't generate you don't have that downforce anymore at, at low speed and there's a couple of corners like that in Bahrain turn one is a pretty good example the the hairpin in the middle sector but I do you think that turn 10 which is the the really tight left onto the long back straight um it always been a tricky corner because you're going uphill flat into the turn nine left hander and then basically straight on the brakes slowly slowing the car right down and then the track sort of falls away as you go tighter and tighter into that left hander it's always been a real tricky one for sucking drivers in and 
making them, tempting them into breaking too late and punishing them. It's so easy. We've seen drivers lock up there every year. But this this week, I've lost count of the number of drivers we've seen go into the runoff area at, at turn 10 or, or have moments there. Uh, and it just seems to be because it is that it's that it's just that corner configuration is just like I said, it's showing the worst of this generation of car. It's bringing all of the that negative stuff or the problematic stuff to the surface. And Alex Albon said, you know, the ride quality in these cars isn't great. He said he doesn't. It's not that he doesn't find them fun to drive. It's just they're 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 different to drive and he described the ride quality as somewhere between what was like what f1 was like last year and his experience of f2 so uh, you have that as well um in sort of heavy braking zones especially a track like this where it, it can get quite bumpy so it's a it's a very very different challenge to barcelona and we said well these cars do look very quick potentially as quick as their predecessors already there are it's going to be circuit dependent and this looks like one of those tracks where those slow speed stuff is really, really hurting them. Yeah, certainly much quicker in the high speed stuff where the amount of downforce they're producing is just phenomenal. So we are going to see ebbs and flows as the season goes on. Well, Scott, McLaren's had a few problems over the past few days with the brakes. It's had a bit of a battle on its hands in general. Could you explain what the problem is there? Yeah, they had. Um, they obviously had a trouble-free test at Barcelona, but it's been a lot more complicated here. They've had to fly in upgraded parts to be able to complete race simulations on the final day because they've been suffering some brake cooling problems on the front axle. Um, Lando Norris has been doing all their driving because Daniel Ricciardo has been ill and as we found out uh, late uh, late today, he's now tested positive for COVID-19 so he's not going to be driving on the final day either but the team's expecting him to be released in time to compete next weekend. So Norris has been doing all the running, but actually, as it turns out, that's not as much running as it would be in a normal situation. He's been limited to short runs because these problems are stopping them from doing any long running. Um, he's, it, it's he he said he knew after the first day that this wasn't going to be a quick fix. Um, they're hoping they've been able to do a little bit. Uh, they've made some modifications on site to enable those shorter runs, which has let them do some setup work and evaluate some. Car upgrades, I think they've got a different front wing. Is that right here? Um, and they're still hoping that by the end of the test, they're going to be nice and, and well prepared. But it, that's going to rest on these upgraded components arriving in time to alleviate the problem and allow them to do full race running or more longer stints on, on, on Saturday because it, it is the last day of testing. Uh, it's just, this is something that they haven't expected. It, it's clearly something that isn't correlating. Um they they always plan these kind of cooling solutions around the worst case scenario and they've come here and actually the worst case scenario is not enough. So yeah, it, it's caught them out. They've ended up on the back foot. They're the first of the big hitters to have a specific and su- sustained problem over more than one day. So it's costing them. They look like they were in a good place at, um, in Spain. But now, well, Andrea Seidel put it best. He said they're in a race against time to get those parts and, and do some vital running. And it comes down to the fact the cars are a little bit quicker than were expected, so that's thrown some of the calculations out. I have to say, along with Gary Anderson, spoke to James Key, the technical director earlier today, I think they're irritated with the problem, but I don't think it's going to be a long-term disaster, but it's it's just really interrupted this test and put them a little bit on the back foot in that regard. 
their car still seems to be working well other than that though so reason for McLaren fans not to be too worried but it's it's not helping their cause certainly. Mark let's talk Mercedes side pods we discussed on yesterday's podcast about the curious case of the Christian Horner quote that they claim wasn't or wasn't official or whatever so what did he say officially today can we put this to bed? Um, he said officially that it'd been um, misquoted and that he had um, no doubt that the Mercedes was legal and uh, it seemed to tick all the boxes for legal requirements. So he was basically putting the story to bed that he had any question about the Mercedes legality. He didn't. And we can safely assume there's no lobbying behind the scenes or anything or any pressure being brought to bear about those mirrors that Mathieu Bonosso was complaining about. Oh, there's, there's probably there's probably all sorts of niggle, and 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 it depends on how quick the car turns out to be. I guess how much um, behind the scenes niggle there, there will be. If um, if it's half a second off the pace, like it appeared to be today um, on on the surface, then uh, the, the problem will go away. But um, if it's bang on the pace, yes, uh, you, you'll have you'll have campaigns going on, just like you had campaigns going on at the beginning of last year about bendy wings and and. You know, it's just the the normal process. Um, yeah, the 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 mirrors are mounted um, on onto the what the the upper side impact structure, um, so that would, if you were of a mind to, you might wish to say, is it um, within the spirit of the regulations to get an aerodynamic? Um, gain from a safety feature but you know it's formula one yeah exactly also it's a safety feature that's mandatory so it doesn't necessarily stop you putting things on it and it doesn't compromise the effectiveness of the of the side impact structure well you you can be um you can be the mercedes spokesman for that one (laughs) i definitely definitely wouldn't want to be doing that but we don't want to cut down too much on innovation let's put it that way scott williams had a relatively productive and uneventful time of it in testing up until today then nicholas latifi came to a fiery halt towards the end of the first session so what befell him uh i might have accidentally stitched williams up because uh, alex albon had a media session quite early in the day and during that media session i said to him uh that williams had had a, a really good pre-season so far and they had they'd had some small setbacks but nothing major completely a lot of mileage and it just looked like the team were having a really uneventful in a really pleasing way uneventful pre-season and just getting the job done and in my defense I did I did knock on wood as I said that uh, and Alex sort of smiled in response and said yeah it's all been great blah 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 gave an answer about how they've just cracked on got all the mileage done what they needed to and then about 20 minutes later, when I got back to the media centre, within five minutes, there was a Williams in flames uh, going backwards onto some runoff. So I might have accidentally done Williams dirty there. But um, obviously, it, this was um, this was a, a dramatic and eye-catching setback and a really, really costly one as well. We said when we saw... The, the car, the, the the fire at the back of the car, if that doesn't get put out quickly, it's going to do some serious damage, but I think it already had. Um, there hasn't been any real information from the team that I've seen, uh, but the what looks like is that the rear brakes have overheated, uh, caught fire, and then Latifi said that what they must have done is basically melted 
part of the rear suspension caused a failure and that's what caused him to spin because he he was aware there was a problem he kn- he knew what was happening so he was trying to nurse the car back to the to the pits um and do so by you t- touching the brakes as little as possible um and then yeah as he got to that part of the track um something broke i think you spotted didn't you ed on a you, you got had like a a freeze frame of 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 the video that showed the left rear absolutely definitely broken. Yeah, you can see the left rear just completely out of shape, and it's got it's it's something's failed as a result of the fire. Yeah, exactly. So um, and that that's what he's on the track. That's what causes the the initial spin. Yeah, exactly. So um, very 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 dramatic. Um, looked like a fire explosion as well, or something like that, because of the because of the fire and the and, and the heat while it was uh, being dealt with. Uh, Nicky Latifi. Played fireman for, for briefly, helping put the fire out. But it's cost them over half a day. So what was looking like a really serene and positive um, test for Williams has uh, taken a turn for the worst in dramatic fashion right at the last minute, which is a shame because it, it has looked like a, a, a really good couple of weeks for them. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I was like, I'm sure many of the the listeners um, <laughs> was following it on Sky at the time. And poor old Alex, he, he he just arrived in the commentary box and started talking about how well the program was going when, when that happened. So he, it's the first time someone's put the commentator's curse on their own car. And he did he did make a um a wry little comment. He said, Well, we've been struggling for rear tire temperatures. We thought flames might help. <laughs> Yeah, some unfortunate timing there, but it probably made for some pretty good television by the by the sounds of it. Uh, one team we haven't talked a great deal about in this test mark is Alpine. They seem to have a reasonable day today. Esteban Ocon notched up 111 laps. They were the sixth fastest car today. What do you make of, of their progress? Is there any reason to think Alpine's going to be anything other than kind of floating around in the middle of the midfield again? Um, they, they, They're looking more respectable now. They, they had... Um... That that little flash of promise they showed in Barcelona before the um, the, the engine gave out is um, is it, it's become apparent again. Uh, I'd, there's there's no evidence that it's going to be able to, or, or at the moment there's no evidence that it's um, challenging the established order. But behind the top three teams and I would say it does look like they are the same top three teams um you know the in the championship order last year and probably the same top four teams um yeah they they look as though they can um compete in that that area and and maybe challenge the lower end of those top four so yeah it, it, it's there's nothing to get too excited by but um I, I I just keep coming back to this idea that I think these early races are going to be a little bit, a little bit random, a little bit think on your feet, and in that area you've got a very, very capable race team, and I mean how they operate and how experienced they are and how savvy they are, in combination with Fernando Alonso, and I, I think. It wouldn't be extraordinary if they got some big results. Yeah, there's certainly going to be some chances on offer. Uh, Scott, another team that you seem to have cursed, you were being enthusiastic about Alfa Romeo 
yesterday, but they had a few problems today, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, I felt really bad because Valtteri Bottas was all smiles when we spoke at the end of day one and then went and spoke to him at lunchtime on on, on day two and it was just like, oh, that didn't last very long, did it? Um, they, I don't know if... I, I never know if this is a good or a bad thing, but the, one of the problems today, arguably the bigger of the two problems, they, they wouldn't say what it was. It was a technical issue and it was a new issue. And this is the bit that I never know because teams can spin it one way or the other. I, I've, I'm sure we've all heard it before. If, uh, if it's if they only ever have like the same problem and it's a recurring problem, then they bat it away as we know everything else is working fine. Once we get on top of this, it'll be ace. Or if it's a bunch of different problems, they say, oh, well, you know, this is good. At least it means we don't have a recurring problem that we can't fix. To be fair, Alfa Romeo said that about a lot of things for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so they they had this technical problem in the morning which cut a Bottas run short. Um, it also then cost them further track time, which cost them the opportunity to do some setup evaluation and some longer runs. And then he also stopped on track with, I think, a hydraulic leak. Um so all that positivity from yesterday out the window because I think he managed about 25 laps or something like that this morning, which is just, he he's just not got anywhere near as much mileage as he needs to to have had in that car. Um, but his teammate, Joe Guan Yu, seems pretty happy. He came into this in slightly better, with, you know, slightly better fortune than, than Bottas had had in the first test because Joe was able to get a bit more running in. And he seemed sort of happy enough, but it is a setback after yesterday. Yesterday did really feel like that team was quite buoyant and felt like they'd got on top of the worst of the problems. And the the, the silver lining from today is that they at, least, they, they at least do not have a recurrence of the most aggressive porpoising problem that they had so far. That was something that was clearly holding them back, and they're absolutely adamant that they've got that solved now. It's just... They're at that point now where they really need to be learning more about the car and finding out its potential and its limitations and exploring different things on setup and short runs or long runs. They 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 are they're just down on mileage at the moment and it's a it it's a, it's a shame because you want to get to this point of testing and really be able to see what all the teams are made of and I just feel like Alfa Romeo is still on the back foot there. Yeah, well, <laughs> time is running out to catch up, isn't it as well? Yeah, the uh, the uh, the alpha thing with the, the the how severe their purposing was at Barcelona is is quite interesting because subsequently, when we got a good look at the car when they launched it with a proper livery and everything after the Barcelona test, um, it became clear that they'd uh, short they they run it they've got a shorter wheelbase than anyone else. They've done their own gearbox and not taken the Ferrari gearbox and sort of gone a different gone their own direction on wheelbase and they've got the car down to the weight limit by doing that but if you've got a porpoising problem by definition it's going to be um a given amount of stall at the rear is going to induce more porpoising because it's it's going to be a more violent reaction because it's got a less short it's got you know shorter distance to follow between the rear wheels and the front um so you you would think if they haven't to um, back away from a more aggressive, uh, as as all the teams are doing, they have to find out where that threshold is that they can run the car in terms of ride height. 
um, they may be more compromised than um, the other cars, and that may be the downside of you know the the shorter wheelbase, which has got them onto the weight limit. Yeah, well, it's going to shake out fairly soon, literally, potentially, with a porpoising going on. But yeah, basically one more day to get it all together, and then we're into free practice here in Bahrain. Thanks to Scott and Mark for your insight. Make sure you follow the Race Live Hub for all the latest from the final day of testing tomorrow and head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there from Scott, Mark, Gary Anderson and all the rest. And remember, there's plenty more podcasts to listen to from the race, including Bring Back V10s and of course, our YouTube channel, which has been pumping out all sorts of testing-related videos. There's just one day to go before F1 preseason is done and dusted. So join us tomorrow for everything you need to know from the final test before the racing starts. <laughs>